My name is Scott Nye, and this is Talking Radical Radio. Hello and welcome to Talking Radical Radio, where we bring you grassroots voices from across Canada. We give you the chance to hear many different people that are facing many different struggles, talk about what they're doing, how they're doing it, and why they're doing it, in the belief that such listening is a crucial step in strengthening all of our efforts to change the world. On this week's show, I will be speaking with Gurpreet Singh. Making grassroots media can be a precarious business. There are lots of exciting initiatives in the Canadian context, varying in age from months to decades, and covering a range of different organizational and financial models, but none have an easy time keeping on keeping on. And in terms of print media, even mainstream publications that have commercial publishing models, mass circulations, and obedient politics are finding it harder and harder to stay afloat. This is the environment in which Gurpreet Singh, an independent journalist with many years of experience in India and in Canada, launched a grassroots magazine called Radical Desi in the spring of 2014. It's an ambitious project. The print version is distributed largely in the greater Vancouver area and to subscribers further afield, and you can also find it online. It comes out monthly and is a rich combination of feature articles, editorial analysis and news coverage, of little-known history and underreported current events, and of integrated attention to a field of political concern that spans South Asia and Turtle Island. Singh tells me about the founding of the magazine, about the ground it has covered so far, and about some of the challenges of making radical media in an inhospitable environment. We spoke by Skype to phone from Vancouver. Well, my name is Gurpreet Singh. I'm an independent journalist. I came to Canada in 2001. I used to work with the Indian Express and Tribune. These are some important publications in India as a staff reporter. And since 2001, I've been working with Radio India as a broadcaster. I have quit that job. Now I work with Spice Studio as a newscaster and talk show host. And in the meantime, I've launched this initiative, Radical Desi. It's a monthly magazine that covers alternative politics. And it has been here since April 2014. We are still trying to make both ends meet. It's a difficult, challenging work. But so far, we don't have any problem in bringing out issues every month. Generally speaking, advertisements are an issue for sure because I have had enough subscribers, so that keeps me going. I always had an ambition to have a monthly magazine. The question is that how the name actually propped up. Radical, they see. Uh, and I should add for folks who aren't familiar with it that the term Desi is a common catch-all for people and cultures and products of South Asia and the South Asian diaspora. Radical Desi is not a new name. Radical Desi network has always been there since 9-11. After 9-11, when Muslims and other visible minorities were being targeted and hounded in the U.S. and elsewhere, some South Asian youngsters actually they launched Radical Desi network. So they are there already connected with each other through internet and they are exchanging a lot of information and alternative stories and ideas. So this idea was very much there. I mean it's not my original idea so I borrowed it from there. Then I thought maybe if I have a magazine which covers alternative politics within the South Asian community. So it has to have a name like that, Radical Desi. So that's the origin of the name. 
tell me about the steps that it took to take it from being an idea to actually having a, a first issue that was out. The first issue is very important. I still have many copies. And when I try to introduce myself in the activist community, what I always do, I take my first issue and tell them to read editorial and the first issue so that you have an idea what kind of journey we have started and what is our goal. So in the first editorial, I have explained this, that how the name came into my mind and how it has its origin in the radical AC networks, which are already there in the US and Canada. And we want to give a voice to the marginalized sections. We are very clear on this. In a situation of oppression, you cannot be neutral, as Jasmine Tutu had said. So we know for sure what we are doing. In case of aggression against Palestine, we have to stand up against Israeli aggression. There is no question of so-called balance at all. We will definitely be fair by doing cover stories and news stories. We don't mind giving voice to even those who can be described as your opponents. Because in the news industry, you cannot fool around with that way. But editorial stuff and comments are very clear. We know what we want to actually highlight and what we want to express. So that's how the journey began. And in the very first edition, we clarified that we recognize British Columbia as unceded coastal territory and we recognize that we are all as a turtle island. So we have to keep that in mind that colonialism and racism are still ugly reality in the lives of the First Nations in, in this country. So the first issue was actually launched in April, which happens to be the month of the Sakhi, which is a very important festival in the South Asian community. Now, most of the South Asians celebrate Vasaki as an auspicious festival. But from our point of view, it's an occasion where we need to highlight the social justice aspect of the history. When Guru Gobind Singh actually launched the uh, Khalsa Tant, which is a martial form of the Sikh faith, and there is a martial army, he tried to eradicate casteism. And casteism is prejudice or discrimination based on caste and caste describes a sort of hereditary class system that has historically organized status and belonging in much of South Asia. Dalits, whom Singh will refer to in a moment, are a large and diverse grouping of peoples who tend to experience the most intense manifestations of caste oppression. So in casteism is also a problem in our community which needs to be addressed. Generally, there is less discussion on this kind of articulation and inconvenient issue. The visited cover story on this particular problem within the South Asian community in Vancouver, how the so-called Dalits or untouchables are being discriminated against by their own compatriots in the name of caste. So that kind of story we did in the first edition. And tell me about that practical side. Walk me through the process of producing and publishing and distributing an issue. I'm still working on my own. I have some allies who keep writing for my magazine. Beyond that, I don't have a full-fledged team. Initially, I had some friends who were willing to go and get some advertisements, and I was willing to give them some commission. But then they lost interest because uh, generally people aren't very uh, excited to advertise with magazines. They're mostly comfortable giving out advertisements for radio and TV because that's a faster medium. So those kind of challenges right now, I'm just doing it single-handedly. My work is only to collect articles write a cover story and then send everything for typesetting and editing. And then the PD file is sent to the print clip. And then we get the hard copy and once the hard copy is out, then the challenge is to distribute copies at different places so that it can go out. 
my magazine is just for two dollars, and we have some subscribers who are getting these copies in mail, and we hope to increase the number of subscribers. Right, not too slow, but maybe uh, I have a free time in summer. I venture out out of Vancouver and might have more subscribers to keep it sustainable. Right now, it's mainly distributed in Vancouver, Surrey, and Burnaby. But this also goes out in mail to different locations in Alberta and Ontario. But that's a very small number, not even worth mentioning. Paint me a picture of the kinds of content that are in the publication. Generally, some historical figures, those figures have to resonate with the cover story. Otherwise, there is no point. So generally, we try to find connections between the history and the current events, and then we do cover stories. The first one was very simple. We were focusing on casteism in our community, so I basically used a picture of this contingent of Dalit activists taking part in the community march against racism. So that picture was the, on the front. And in May edition, uh, we focused on Mission Narendra Modi. There was an election in May in India, and Narendra Modi was a potential candidate for the post of Prime Minister. He represents the BJP, Hindu Nationalist Party. There was some opposition to Modi because of his government's involvement in the anti-Muslim program in 2002. This vicious assault on the Muslim community in the Indian state of Gujarat bore every hallmark of a deliberately planned and carefully executed pogrom. And it is widely understood that the right-wing Hindu nationalist movement of which the BJP, Modi's party, is one element, played a central role in it. More than 2,000 Muslims were killed during the violence, and tens of thousands more were rendered homeless. Modi also happened to be the chief minister of Gujarat when the pogrom occurred, and it is, again, widely understood that the massacre could not have happened the way it did without complicity from the local state. And there was a campaign going on in Toronto, so we focused on that campaign, and we turned it into a cover story. In June, we covered the 30th anniversary of Operation Blue Star, the infamous operation of the Indian Army against Sikh militants, the devastated building of a contact on the front cover. Uh, and this assault by the Indian army killed many civilians, defiled the central holy place of the Sikh religion, and ended up being part of a larger series of events in 1984 in which Sikhs in India faced much persecution and violence. And in July, we had a special Kamakatamaru edition, and on the cover we had the, picture, the portrait of Park Singh who brought the Kamakatamaru ship to Vancouver. Kamakatamaru is the name of a ship and it's associated with a key early moment in struggles for justice by people of South Asian descent in Canada, and indeed of struggles around migrant justice in general in this country. In 1914, the ship was carrying 376 migrants from India who were eager to join the burgeoning South Asian community that existed in BC. At that time, both Canada and India were part of the British Empire, and all aboard the ship were British subjects. That's the same legal category as residents of Canada held at the time, as it would still be decades before a separate Canadian citizenship was created. As such, the British subjects on the ship had every expectation of being welcomed and protected by law, just as British subjects arriving from the UK were at that time. Yet most were not even allowed to leave the ship by Canadian immigration officials. Despite vigorous support from the South Asian community in Vancouver, the people in the Komagata Maru were stranded in the harbour for two months and ultimately forced back to sea and deported. The July edition was actually, that covered two months, we didn't, in July and August. We didn't have an issue in August. 
In September, we had on the cover uh, revolutionary Punjabi poet Pash, who was murdered by the Khalistani extremists. And the story was actually about his narrative, how relevant it is, and how it continues to haunt the establishment and the religious right. And uh, in October, we focused on the temple election in Vancouver and what it means on the occasion of the 100th anniversary of martyrdom of Park Singh, the first, uh, the leader of the Sikh community in Vancouver, who was gunned down in 1914 by Dela Singh, the agent of William Hopkinson. Uh, and to reiterate what Singh just said, this was the centenary of the assassination of the leader of the Sikh community in Vancouver, who was killed by an agent working for a Canadian immigration official. And in November, we focused on 1984 anti-Sikh carnage, but we had the picture of Kailas Atiyati, the guy who received Nobel Prize this year. Around some radicals were angry that why you had uh, the picture of this guy on cover who got Nobel for uh, indirectly supporting U.S.-based corporation interests. But that was not the case. We wanted to highlight his picture because there's a positive side to his story that he tried to help Sikh community during 1984 carnage. And we wanted to send across this message that this was not the carnage done by the Hindu community, it was done by the Indian state. So here is this guy, Kailash Athyarki, who got Nobel Prize for helping the poor kids, and he also helped the innocent Sikhs during 1984 carnage. So Kailash being Hindu, if we give him a space on the tower, it sends a very positive message. We tried to actually eradicate those hostilities between Hindus and the Sikhs. That was the whole point. And in December, we had the picture of Ambedkar on the front cover, who was the author of the Indian Constitution. And we linked his death anniversary on 6th of December with the rise of the Hindu right in India, because on his death anniversary, the Hindu extremists had raised an ancient mosque in Ayodhya in India on 6th of December 1992. And in January, we had a special edition on Neva Singh with his picture on the cover. But it's not uh, special that way. I mean, it's not as special as Kamagata mission was because it's not taken size and we didn't have enough advertisements. But it's mainly on the campaigning going on in our community to get Neva Singh recognized as a Canadian hero. So in looking through some of the issues that are online, it seems that some of the content is these cover stories and connecting the contemporary and the historical, but there's also some current news stories as well. Tell me a bit about the kinds of current news stories that you cover in the magazine. Of course, we do cover current stories and news stories. Like, we cannot ignore the campaign going on seeking national inquiry into the missing and murdered Aboriginal women. So we have been consistently giving space to the write-ups focusing on that issue. We have been giving space to issues such as labor situation, Canada Post, and even the laws being brought in by the conservative government to increase surveillance and security and the latest immigration policies rallies and events being organized by the social justice activists. And of course, sometimes we do uh, give space to political stories and some sensational stories like Primopal, the federal minister's brother has been charged recently. So those kind of stories do appear in our magazine. When it comes to the news and current affairs, we try to be a little bit relaxed, a little bit open. Whereas the comment or the editorial concern, we are very clear where do we stand politically. In looking through the issues of the publication that are online, one of the things that really struck me was what you mentioned in your earlier answer about consistently connecting things to history 
And I think what's particularly interesting for me is that the publication seems to have a real emphasis on unearthing histories of South Asian struggle in Canada that we usually don't hear about. So maybe in general terms, sketch out a little bit of that history that probably most Canadians are completely unaware of. Yeah, that's a very important question, Scott. I can give you one example. A journalist friend of mine had once asked me a very strange kind of question on Facebook. Why are you celebrating Gazar history? Gazar has nothing to do with Canada. Uh, and just another quick interruption with a little bit of context. The Gadar movement or Gadar party was a movement that started in the early 20th century among South Asians living in North America that was primarily focused on ending British colonial rule in India. Why are you celebrating Gadar history? Gadar has nothing to do with Canada. Uh, it's, it reflects your spirit loyalty. If you are a Canadian, why are you talking about Gadarites who actually wanted to liberate their home country? I mean, this was not his fault. Of course, he didn't know much about the Canadian history, although he is from South Asian background. The thing is that Gadar history or the history of the struggles, I mean, those are basically Canadian stories embedded in the Canadian system. Gadar party came into being because of racism. Let's face it. You see, these people actually who started coming to Canada, the Sikh immigrants, they mostly started coming here as British subjects because Canada and India, both of them were British colonies back then. And many of them actually believed in the fairness of the British Empire. And many of them actually had served in the British Army. So when they came to Canada for livelihood, they uh, believed that they will be treated nicely as British subjects. But that was not the case. When they came here, they were bounded by the white supremacists. And in case of racial violence, the British government never came to the rescue. So they started getting organized against racism, and they soon realized that the root cause of our sufferings is occupation back home. So we have to fight against that as well. So that's how the Gadar Party came into being in 1913. And these people were fighting both against racism abroad and occupation back home. So there is a connection. And when they were fighting for all this, remember what the government was doing. The government had disfranchised Indo-Canadians in 1907. They were not allowed to bring in their families. There was a conspiracy to relocate them to Honduras. So they were very much in struggle with the Canadian system, and they were seeking equal rights in Canada. And those values which are now enshrined in Canadian Charter of Rights, those were the values for which these guys were fighting for. So you can see clearly these are Canadian stories. And we need to tell them again and again so that people should know that these stories have strong Canadian connection. You cannot just treat them as stories of immigrants who just came and returned to the homeland. That's not the case. So today we have right to vote. Today we can bring in our families. It was not served on platter. Our elders actually fought for these rights. That's why we are enjoying them now. So that's why it's very important to tell people about the history. But you know that a lot of things have changed, but we cannot say that everything is perfect. Even now, the rights and privileges we have got over the years, due to the efforts of our elders, they are under attack, constantly under attack from the right-wing government. So we have to be alert all the time. You mentioned at the beginning that you have worked as a journalist for quite a long time. How is this particular project different from other journalistic endeavors that you've been a part of? Here I would say I have a complete freedom in the sense that I'm doing it on my own. And it's different also because now I realize how hard it is to run a media venture. 
because you rely so much on advertisements to run your business. Before that, I was just working as a reporter. It was not my worry. Now I have an expedition coming up in February, and I know what it means. I mean, I'm under a lot of pressure. I have to arrange for advertisements. I have to arrange uh, stories, and I have to take care of the deadline. So you do it on your own. It's a different situation altogether. But when I read the stuff that people contribute, I'm really delighted that we are doing it because most of the time these stories are unheard in the mainstream media. The kind of write-ups and articles I'm receiving from different people, when you read them, you feel that why the story is not being shared by the big media in our community. So I think it's important to have that kind of alternative platform. It sounds like you've tackled some pretty difficult issues, things like casteism and communalism. How do you tackle that, knowing that it's going to be contentious? One has to be very candid and stubborn if you really want to do that kind of experiment. Because if you are conservative, then you will not be doing it in the first place. And believe me, media industry actually is conservative. You rely on businesses. You rely on people who are advertising. Sometimes when you go and seek advertisement, they will never say it on face, but you can get an understanding that they do not appreciate your ideas because these are very unconventional ideas and sometimes people expect you to have more glossy magazine which covers fashion and glamour instead of these real issues. So one person who I trusted to bring me some ads, that person actually suggested to me that you, you should try to broaden your outlook and include stuff like fashion and glamour instead of just focusing too much on the left spectrum of politics. So this is definitely very difficult, very challenging. But what's the point in having a name like Radical DC if you are not doing enough radical work? So you have to have a commitment towards your own self before you think about the consequences. A mainstream way of thinking about journalism is that we're supposed to aspire to objectivity. But certainly many of us who work in grassroots media, in left media, have a different kind of understanding. Talk a little bit about your take on objectivity. Is that something to aspire to, or are there other ways to make sure that what you're producing is good and worthwhile and useful? From my own experience, I can say complete objectivity is a myth. It's just not possible. If you think any media is completely objective, that's not the case. You have to take position sometimes. I can give you one example. In India, it's a common practice that most of the newspapers have their offices in big cities. In the month of March or April, which is not a good time for rain, it's time for harvesting. Sometimes the temperature becomes unbearable and a lot of people in cities, they feel a lot of heat. And all of a sudden, there are showers and they feel relieved. And often the city papers will come up with headlines like people heave a sigh of relief because of the rainfall. But they don't realize that this is not something funny. And even if you sound innocent and your news story seems to be very objective and not harmful at all, but you are ignoring a reality. The reality is that 70% of the Indian economy is based on agriculture. And an untimely rain means destruction of the produce by the farmers. So you are excluding that discourse. And that is the problem. So this is one good example of how objectivity can never be taken for granted. So you have to be very, very clear. I'm in a situation like terrorism or a situation like state violence. We clearly have some victims and we have to treat them as worthy victims. I mean, as Norm Chomsky has written about worthy and unworthy victims, we can see that the claims of objectivity are more like a myth. 
so my take on this is that fine we can be partisan we can have our own outlook and we have a right to have our own perspective but we can at least be fair and by fairness i mean that you try to include even the voices of those who don't like even give them a chance to speak and then at least you can tell the world that see we are trying to have everyone's voice in our dialogue so we are not excluding anyone that is for ethical reasons nothing to do with your so called commitment towards objectivity for the sake of market economy and as a radical media producer in vancouver what are some of the key things that you see as being missing or done badly in the mainstream media in vancouver in bc in canada well there are a number of things one simple fact is the kind of stories being picked and kind of stories being preferred over others for example there was a big march in langley for the missing dogs and pets and the kind of coverage it received in langley media that kind of coverage is missing when we talk about the growing demand for the national inquiry for missing and murdered women i'm mean, just giving you one example now i might have missed something when i was reading all that stuff so we have to be fair enough with that but my argument is generally stories that are important they are ignored conveniently and the stories which are not really important which are just entertaining they somehow capture the front cover of the magazines or the headlines so that itself is an imbalance and also the mainstream media is more or less conservative they will never take any radical position because they know that if they have to survive within the market economy they have to be on the middle of the road so they will never take a hardcore position on some real issue like homelessness like racism like the onslaught on the indigenous communities speculate what the project might look like in a year's time two years time it's been almost one year now and if it becomes harder for me to survive to sustain this magazine then i have some other ideas like i might stop actually taking advertisements i might actually turn this magazine into a small journal it will be going essentially to the subscribers by mail and most of the time it will be online so i might have to look into those possibilities if it becomes harder to sustain so it's a very ticklish situation so i don't know about the future but i'm pretty sure that this magazine is going to survive by all means it may not be in the same shape i hope that we have a better website where all the copies are properly archived and people can relish our old editions and we might try to improve the quality of our magazine in terms of having more color better quality newsprint and more copies but right now i'm not sure we'll be able to figure it out in april once one full year completes i will better place to figure it out you have been listening to my interview with gurpreet singh editor and publisher of the monthly grassroots magazine radical desi to check out the issues so far go to radicaldesi.ca That's R A D I C A L D E S I . C A. To find out more about Talking Radical Radio, the guests, the theme music and the ways that you can listen, or to make suggestions about topics for future shows, go to talkingradical.ca and click on the link marked radio. That's talkingradical.ca. I'm your host Scott Nye, a writer and media producer based in Sudbury, Ontario, and the author of two books of Canadian history told through the stories of activists, Gender and Sexuality and Resisting the State, both from Fernwood Publishing. Thank you very much for listening, and I hope you tune in again next week. Thank you.